all of us as Christ followers are at different points or different spots in our journey of faith. We're all at different parts of our walk with Christ. And for some of you, you may have come to the faith not too long ago, and you're starting out just at the beginning. For others of you, you have followed Christ for a long time and a long season. And then there's everyone in between. But regardless where you may be on that faith journey, my guess is that you have experienced, even young believers, times of personal famines and certainly trials. And so with that, I want to ask you a few questions. Have you been faithful to God and yet ever felt as though you're getting nowhere? Have you made the right decisions and followed God, God's ways to the best of your ability, only to see that very thing lead to trials and even greater difficulties? Have you had incredible moments and incredible count encounters with God or mountaintop experiences, if you will, only for them to be followed by seasons of personal or spiritual famine? Or maybe today you're waiting patiently on God to deliver on promises and unanswered prayers. You're not alone and I'm not alone because as you hopefully know, the Bible gives us example after example of men and women who have experienced the very same thing. Think about the life of Joseph. Joseph was given a God-given dream of his future, which was immediately followed by a season of slavery. Moses himself, the author of Genesis, encountered God in the burning bush, a miraculous vision of God and a miraculous encounter for it to be only followed immediately by greater oppression of the Egyptians and even a rejection of his very own people, the Israelites. Elijah, prophet Elijah, was called on by God. He responds and he obeys. He goes to the Kareth brook and he's fed by ravens only for it to be shortly followed up by the very brook drying up. David was anointed at a young age by Samuel and called to be the next king of Israel. But he had to wait 14 years during which he was running for his life most of the time. Jesus himself, if you'll remember, after being baptized by John the Baptist, where the spirit of God descends on Christ himself and he hears the father God saying, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. What was that moment followed by? 40 days and 40 nights of temptation in the wilderness. All throughout scripture, God gives us examples of those whose faith has been tested following powerful encounters with God. Today, we're going to continue our walk through the book of beginnings, through the book of Genesis. And we're going to look at Abraham, the father of the faith, who gives us valuable lessons when we experience personal famines and personal trials in our own life, especially in times following obedience and a sense of closeness to God. So today's message, it's entitled, From Faith to Famine. Father, I pray that wherever the location is, that the person watching this right now is, 
that you would be there with them, that your presence would come. Here even in this sanctuary now, as I record this message, I pray that your spirit would fill me and speak through me, that you would remind each and every one of us Christ followers that oftentimes faith, that famine follows faith, and that it's in those moments of famine that you desire to teach us to trust in you more than ever before. May you do that in the power of your name today. Amen. Let's go right to our text for today, which is Genesis chapter 12. Before we read it, and before we open our word and dive into that, I want you to know that chapter 12 is divided into two sections. The first half of chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, really show us the faithfulness of Abraham and the promises that God made to him. The second half, verses 10 through 20, give us Abram's response to adversity, to trials, and to famine. So let's start at verse 1. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So Genesis chapter 12, these first nine verses, the first half, as I said, it really refers to the call of Abram. And as we just read, we understand that God calls Abram to leave behind all that he knows, to leave behind his family for a place that God has determined, but Abram doesn't know where it's at yet. And in that obedience, God promises him three things. He promises him land, He promises descendants and he promises him blessing. And in this blessing, it's a blessing that all families on the earth, you and I included, will be blessed through Abraham. And what does Abraham do? He obeys. He follows the instructions of the Lord without question. And he takes his wife, Sarai, who we learned just a few verses earlier at the end of chapter 11, that she's barren, that Abram and Sarai are unable to have children. So she follows with Abram, as does his nephew Lot and all that he had. And they leave and they head toward the land of Canaan. Now, despite all of the questions, which I'm sure there were lots of, and difficulties following the Lord into the unknown, Abram obeys the Lord. And here's a lesson in obedience for you and I. Simple obedience demonstrates our faith in God. Without any argument recorded in scripture, Abram follows the Lord's command. Now we go down a little further to verse seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and he pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west, and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. 
So Abraham is now in the land of Canaan. And God shows up and he says, this is it, Abraham. This is the land for you and your descendants. The blessing I promised you to give you a land, to give you descendants, to make your name great. This great blessing to bless you and to bless all families on earth through you. Remember that blessing, Abraham. It's right here. Abraham's eyes are opened as God appears and he shows him the future of the promise. This is where it was going to happen. Now, just like anyone would do, after having that type of encounter with God, Abraham worships. And can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the thankfulness in Abraham's heart after leaving everything he knew, after leaving his homeland and his family and God appearing and showing him, Abraham, this is what I am about to give you. Can you imagine the sound of his song in worship? I thought about that and I wonder if Abraham just sang, all I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. God was faithful to Abraham. And understand that at this point in Abraham's life, at this point in his life, everything is wonderful. His obedience, Abraham's faithfulness and obedience has led to God showing up and revealing the beginnings of what would be an amazing blessing to him and his future. But all of a sudden, in the midst of this, we get to verse 10 and everything changes. Verse 10 says, now there was a famine in the land. Right in the middle of this rejoicing, God interrupts Abraham's song with famine. He has been obedient. Abraham abandoned without question everything he knew in obedience to God's calling. And before ever seeing the promises of God, the Lord appears to him and once again confirms the blessing that have been spoken over him. Abraham honors God. He worships God. And what happens? A famine comes. Abraham is expecting answered prayers and instead he can't even feed his family. The reality is, this has happened to all of us. So again, I ask you some questions. How do you respond when God interrupts your rejoicing for a period of famine? How do you respond when unexpected trials come knocking at your door, especially when they come on the heels of close communion and worship with God? Have you ever had a moment or a time when God's presence was so strong and evident that your faith was flying high only for it to be cut short by a sudden interruption of adversity? Here we understand that Abram is moved from faith to famine. And that brings me to the first point that we all have to understand that one, faith is often followed by famine. Let me give you something to remember today, something that most Christians never understand. And as a result, they give up when famine or trials come into their life. It is this, initial obedience is the starting point 
on the road to spiritual maturity. Initial obedience is the starting point. Too often we have the idea that it's the final destination. We say, Lord, I surrender to you. I want to be like Jesus Christ. And we think, great, everything's taken care of. That takes care of my salvation. That takes care of my sanctification. I'm here, I've arrived. However, then all of a sudden after that, God brings a trial or a famine into our lives. And we say, wait a second, Lord, what are you doing? And God looks down and he replies, I'm answering your prayer. I'm going to make you like Jesus Christ. And then we say, but wait a second. I said, I surrendered. And God in effect says, I don't necessarily care that you said it. I want you to experience it. I want it to be a reality in your life. You see, famine, testing, and trials, they come and God allows them and brings them into our life to accomplish that very purpose. There's two all familiar passages in the New Testament that confirm this. One in the book of James, which you will recognize that says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, doesn't say if, he says when they come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, because it will be tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Peter says it in his first epistle as well. Dear friends, he writes, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. You and I should not be surprised when famine comes. We shouldn't be surprised when trials come. We should expect them because faith is often followed by famine. Let's go back to Genesis 12. If we look later, now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. In verse 11, it says, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. It's a good thing he said that to his wife and he recognized it. (laughs) And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me but they will let you live. So Sarai, say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my own wife? Now then, here is your wife, Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Now there is a lot 
to unpack there. So before we get to Abraham's words to Sarah, Sarai and calling him his sister, let's talk about Abraham going to Egypt for a moment. Understand that Abraham is heading to the place that throughout the Old Testament represents rebellion to God and bondage to the world. Abraham's help was not in Egypt. Help was at the altar of the Lord. Abraham had just built it. Abraham had just spent time in the presence of God. And that's where the help should have come from. Not from Egypt. The problem is the fact that Abraham didn't seek God's counsel. He didn't return to the altar and seek God's voice. And God never called him to go to Egypt. Abraham became anxious and he tried to take things into his own hands. Going to Egypt was a picture of his self-reliance. He could have looked and said, well, doesn't the Bible say that God helps those who help themselves? No, it doesn't. And here's the second point. Famines can either lead you closer to God or further away from God. You choose. Trials and personal famines are, make, are meant to make us depend on God more. A trial or a famine or suffering is an invitation to pray and to wait on the Lord, to trust and to watch God work. Sometimes his answer will be removing the trial. Sometimes his answer will be giving us the perseverance to carry through it. In fact, oftentimes it's the latter. But always, with his answer, he gives us wisdom to properly respond. Notice these words in Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah writes, What sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord? You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins For without consulting me, you have gone down to Egypt for help. You have put your trust in Pharaoh's protections. You have tried to hide in his shade. But by trusting Pharaoh, you will be humiliated. And by depending upon him, you will be disgraced. Abraham tried to answer his own prayer and so many times you and I do the same. God says, when you go down to Egypt, God says, when you trust in the world system, when you make plans of your own, when you attempt to answer your own prayers, when you attempt and you don't seek my counsel or seek my advice, God says, don't blame me when you get into a mess. So here's what happens as a result of Abram leaving Canaan and attempting to solve his own problems by going to Egypt. As we read, he approaches Egypt and he tells his wife Sarai that if someone asks, she's to say, you're my sister. Now, why does he do that? Well, the thing is, he's telling a half truth. Sarai is his half sister. He's just leaving the part about her being his wife out of it. And because she was beautiful, his plan was to actually protect Sarai by using the customary system of that day. And let me explain. So if they approach Egypt as his wife, as you can imagine, anyone could just knock off Abraham and kill him and then take Sarai as their own wife. 
However, with the cultural system as the day, if Sarai did not have a wife, legal guardianship would automatically go to the oldest brother. So here we understand that Abraham is saying, I'm your brother. Tell him you're I'm your brother. Therefore, if anyone wants to have you or be married to you, I would be the lead negotiator and it'll buy us time to get what we need and escape. You see, whoever wished to take Sarai as a wife, they're going to have to negotiate with Abraham. Abraham. So he's in control. But Abraham was thinking of the average Joe Egyptian. He wasn't thinking that Pharaoh would step in and go, I want her as my wife because Abraham is not negotiating with Pharaoh. And that's exactly what happens. Pharaoh automatically takes Sarai. And now all of a sudden, because Abraham took things into his own hands, the very promises of God are in jeopardy. Sarai now finds herself in the harem of Pharaoh and Abraham is left in a foreign land with no bride, with no land and no descendants. Abraham does receive wealth from Pharaoh, which that itself even acted more as a curse than a blessing. We understand later that because of Abraham's wealth, it caused his nephew Lot and him to split because the land couldn't support such wealth. Most likely, Abraham also received Hagar as his servant, who once again later on in the in upcoming chapters, Abraham tries to fast track prayers and he has a child with Hagar who would cause much family conflict. conflict. The famine led Abraham far from God, but it wasn't the famine's fault. It was what he did during the famine, what Abraham did that mattered most. And so it is with you and I. When we face trials and famines, the question is not, is God faithful? The question is, will I trust him through the famine? When you and I attempt to move on behalf of God and we disregard his leading, we often put at risk the very blessings that God has planned for us. Abraham's plan failed and our plans will fail. But God's plans never do. They don't fail. Abraham didn't deserve grace. Abraham didn't deserve to be brought back. But God never treats us as we deserve. He treats us with grace and mercy. Once again, it's a continual theme in the book of Genesis. When the focus becomes on man and their actions, the focus is on sin. But as we watch God in his actions, the focus moves to grace and mercy. We will face earthly consequences for our sin, no doubt. But we will not face ultimate consequences because Jesus faced them for us. On the cross, Jesus died for Abraham's lack of faith in Egypt. He died for your lack of faith today. And he dies for my lack of faith. Faith is trusting God through the famine. What Abraham is learning through this text is that trusting God is the foundational structure from which all life must be lived. If we don't learn to trust God, we will fail to know anything else about life. Faith 
equals trust. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. In other words, trust. Faith is standing tall. It's standing straight and firm on God's character, on who he is. Faith is looking at God and seeing him, the promise that will come to pass. When we look to God by faith, we look at the one who never tires of us because he made us and he saved us. He never runs out of supply for us because our needs energize him. And he never turns away from us because Jesus made us righteous in him at the cross. Abraham, he isn't a model for how to handle the anomalies of, night, of life, the exact opposite. Abraham is a model for how to handle the regularities of life. And if you remember one thing today, it's this, that God's regular way of working is to give people famines in the midst of their faith. When your faith is tested, if it's being tested and tried right now, know that God is there. You could be moments away from your answered prayer. God could be just moments away from answering the very things you're longing and holding on to. He could be moments away from delivering the promise that you've been waiting for. Don't try to fast track it. Don't try to shortcut it. Don't attempt to answer your own unanswered prayers. Simply wait and watch God work. Famines often follow faith. Would you join me as I pray for us today? Heavenly Father, it really is a theme throughout the entire Bible. But we often, as your children, we forget. We forget that we should expect trials, that we should expect suffering, that we should expect famines. And it's often in those powerful mountaintop moving moments where we experience you and we encounter you that you follow that up with famine so that our faith would be put to the test. So today I pray for those right now, I know there are some that are in the midst of famines, spiritual famines where their soul is thirsty, their soul is hungry. And they're waiting for unanswered prayers. By the power of your spirit, would you fuel their faith today? Would you remind them that they are to trust in you? Would you give us the strength and the wisdom not to fast track or try to answer our own prayers, but to rely on you, to have faith and hope for that which is unseeable? Do it in your mighty name. Amen.